0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best place to buy tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and save $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of August 27th, 2018. Well, 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 look who is hot in the month of August. The Chicago White Sox win three out of four on the road against the Detroit Tigers and now sit at 14 and 10 with a win loss record for the month. While it's finally nice to feel good about the team, a brutal week is ahead as the White Sox travel to the Bronx this week to face the New York Yankees before they come home for a four-game series against the Boston Red Sox. Can the White Sox finish August with a winning month? We'll discuss that, plus recap the action down in the minor leagues and answer your questions in PO Sox. With Michael Kopech arriving, we are getting a look at what the 2019 season and beyond starting rotation will look like. And I figured this would be a good time to gauge on how the White Sox starters are doing. And if 2018 is a good sign moving forward. And if we should be more concerned than we are about certain starting pitchers. Well, joining us to help is our good friend of the podcast. He writes about all things baseball on The Athletic. It's Eno Saris. And hello, Eno. Thanks for coming on the show again. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Before we get to the White Sox, our listeners love to hear about your beer takes. So what's been some of your favorite recent brews?
1: I was in Chicago recently, um, and I had some Hubbard's Cave for the first time. Hmm. Uh, One of their hazy IPAs, and I really enjoyed it.
0: Nice. I haven't even been there yet, so I have to add that to the list. Uh, Actually, one of our fan questions that we got in, uh, they wanted to ask you, what is your favorite style of beer when the rebuild seems to be dragging on for your favorite team? Do you double down on bitterness or offset it with something sweeter?
1: (laughs) You can't you can't have to go bitter at night and bitter all day. So I'll I'll take I'll take a nice light hazy IPA that doesn't uh, remind me of all the uh, all the pain that has come before.
0: <laughs> well, brighter days are ahead, hopefully, for the White Sox, uh, and Michael Kobeck's a big part of that. He's finally arrived, and we are recording this before his second start in Detroit. But, you know, what intrigues you about Kopech and what do you think the future holds for him?
1: Uh, you know, I, I kind of get a bit of a Noah Syndergaard vibe from him. OK. Where uh, everyone always kind of keys in on the velocity. But when you watch his changeup drop and when you you know watch his breaking ball, you see legitimate other pitches. Uh, it's not going to be just velocity or else he'd end up in the pen like Jordan Hicks. Um, so I, I think, uh, that part I really liked command is really hard to see in just one start. Um, so, you know, he missed some spots, he hit some spots. Um, I think I'm going to reserve judgment on that, but, uh, the whole point of velocity is that, you know, uh, you get the same results on 96 down the pipe as you do on 91 up and in, uh, but If you can reliably hit 96, then it doesn't matter as much if you go up and in or if you go down the middle. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I think uh, his velocity will get him out of trouble at times.
0: Now, Lucas Giolito obviously does not have the same type of velocity as Michael Kopech. And for his season, he's still sporting an ERA above six. And it took about 18 starts this year before his K percentage was equal to his walk percentage. But in his last seven starts, you know, there has been some progress as he has 40 strikeouts to 17 walks in his last 40 innings. Is 2018 going to be the norm for Lucas Giolito? Or do you think that there's still hope for Giolito to meet his potential? He was, uh,
1: I think he had bottom five command when I looked at uh, command plus, which was a a stat that stats incorporated came up with, um, they sort of checked, they watched the games and they, and they, they marked, they, they said, Oh, you know what? He was trying to go up and in on this guy and he missed by this much or he missed by that much. They tried to use scouting reports and just intuition, uh, to judge basically how a pitcher, what a pitcher's intent was. Uh, and he was near the bottom. Um, he always seems to be fooling with his mechanics and, um, you know, I, uh, I don't know. i I I wasn't that big on him when they acquired him and I haven't really seen something uh, substantive change that has changed my mind since.
0: Well then, how about the other guy, Ronaldo Lopez? On June 10th, his season array was 3.26, but since it's increased to 4.72, and his FIP is now at 5.27, I like Lopez's stuff, you know. I think his pitch arsenal is good enough to be an average, if not above average, major leaguer starter, but we have been hearing about focus issues from Lopez himself and the coaching staff. Do you think his struggles from the last two months can be blamed on a pitcher's ability to stay focused for an entire game? Or is his arsenal not as good as I think it is.
1: His fastball is not as good as people think it is. It's as it's hard. I mean, it has decent velocity, um, and it's jumped up, I think, over the course of the season at different times. But at the same time, it's very straight. It's low spin. It doesn't get the same whiffs as you'd expect. In fact, it, I think it gets below average whiffs. So he, you're right that he has a starter's arsenal in that his secondary pitches are pretty decent, um, and he has two of them. He has enough to, to get through the lineup a couple times. But if you're going to add... Uh, poor command, uh, bad fastball, and now focus issues on top of that, uh, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball there. I wonder what he would do with a lower arm slot try to go for more sink uh, because that might get more movement out of his fastball Uh, but if there's a focus thing maybe you put him in the pen uh, and see what he does at a higher velocity in shorter stints maybe that improves the command, maybe that improves the focus. Uh, I think I actually like him a little bit more than uh giolito even though uh, you know giolito had the prospect pedigree uh, I, I i see more working parts here and uh i don't know what they have to do i mean sometimes uh it, it requires a visit to the doctor and, and some uh, adhd medication that has been a huge step forward for certain players around the league uh and that could be something for lopez
0: are you confident that both of these pitchers can pan out because again like i mentioned in the intro White Sox fans are expecting Giulito and Lopez to be part of the starting rotation when the team makes the transition from rebuilder to competitor.
1: I expect that uh, one will be in the back end of the rotation and one will be in the
0: bullpen. Oof. Well, that's not good news, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know who I do really like? Who do you like? Uh, Dylan Seas. Well, we all love Dylan Seas.
1: So there, I think with him and Kopech, you've got a one-two. Uh, it takes all sorts to make a rotation go and make a, a, a staff go. Right now there's a bunch of uh, teams going for the bullpen, so maybe this solves Gilito's problems. Maybe Gilito and Lopez are in the bullpen, and they're part of the, the great new next bullpen of the future. I mean, if you look at it, the, the White Sox need a bullpen too. <laughs>
0: right, yep, and <laughs> that is true. But,
1: but Cease, Cease has uh, a hammer, a legit hammer. I think he, his third pitch is going to be good enough. Um, when he wants it develops a little bit better and uh yeah I believe in him alright
0: before you totally break my heart uh let's let's chat about Carlos Rodon he's having a good season from an ERA perspective it's down to 2.71 before he makes his next start in the Bronx against the Yankees. But his K, his K per 9 is way down. His Baba against is 206. His ground ball percentage is down by 4 points from his career average at 40%. His home run fly ball rate is at the lowest of his career at 8.7%. In our last episode, I thought what Rodon has been doing is sustainable with the results that he's been getting, going 7-8 innings per start. But now I'm not so sure. What do you make of Carlos herdon this season, Eno?
1: I'm going to take positives away. Even if he regresses and even if he ends up uh, with a worse DRA, which I do expect he will, uh, I'm going to take positives out of this. I think he's throwing the change up more often, and I think he's throwing with better command this year. Uh, he's been healthy and he's building up innings. Maybe uh, he's more Sean Manaya than Chris Sale or whatever, but, uh, but I don't think so. I, I still see the potential for a top-of-the-rotation top, top of the rotation, uh, arm in there. Um, you know, maybe, you know, playing with that percentage of sliders versus change-ups, um, I think, well, maybe that will be a big deal for him. Because change-ups in the past, uh, I've done some research and have shown that high change-up whiff rates don't always translate to high strikeout rates. There have been a lot of pitchers in the past, like a Jared Parker type, uh, guys who have had good change ups that have also used it for weak contact. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that that's everything that's what's happening with Rodon right now, but it doesn't, it, it's not crazy to me that his home run rate goes down when his change up usage goes up. So, um, I, I just think it's a real positive that he's throwing it more and his walk rate hasn't skyrocketed. But that, that combo to me is the biggest takeaway, plus some healthy innings. Um, so, I could see him putting it all together next year where maybe he goes back to the slider a little bit more, but he still has that changeup in the back pocket uh, and, he, and he gets that good mix of strikeouts and ground balls.
0: Where do you think Rodon could stack up against other starters in Major League Baseball? Is he one that you would say, yeah, he's elite, he's ace type, or is he somebody that would be a good number two or number three starter on a team that would be a contender?
1: I mean, I think his floor, like I said, floor might be around Sean Manaya. Uh, but he still has more velocity than Manaya. I mean, Shamanaya right now is down to 91. Um, and I would take both of Rodon's secondary pitches over Manaya's uh, secondary pitches. So, um, you know, having Manaya as a floor, I think, is a, is a good spot. That means that, at worst, he's kind of a 2-3-4, like a middle-of-the-rotation guy. Um, but I still see, you know, uh, especially if good health means a good velocity um, and, the, and he, you know, Tinkers with that pitching mix a little bit more. I could still see an ace in there. Uh, I could see dual aces with him and Kopech. So I, I wouldn't get too, too too depressed about Lopez and Gilito.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, raising my spirits. <laughs> James Shields, at the moment we're recording this, is still with the White Sox. We figured that he could have been somebody moved to any team that needed some help, eat some innings in the back end or the rotation, but that hasn't come to fruition yet. Is it worthwhile for any contending team to acquire James Shields? You know,
1: I'm not sure. I mean, the, I think what happens is, uh, if you think you have enough of a of a starting rotation to make it to into the into the postseason, any acquisition you're looking at right now, you're trying to decide, can they pitch in the pen in the in the postseason? Will they be an asset to me out of the pen? I don't think that Shields in this. Part of, portion of his career is going to get much of a velocity boost by moving to the pen. Uh, so having kind of an innings eater out of the pen is not that useful in, in the postseason. So basically you're asking for a team uh, to just pick him up for a couple of spot starts in September. Uh, which, you know, totally possible. Maybe they just pick up the tab on the rest of his Uh, uh, The rest of his contract that you probably won't get much of an asset act for him though
0: And then looking at the league wide the postseason is going to be very interesting especially the American League I'm I'm shocked on how well Oakland has been playing I thought they could catch Seattle but the fact that they're making Houston sweat is a a little bit unbelievable And then you look at their starting rotation and how they're doing this with like Mike fears and Edwin Jackson uh, how long can this last, do you think, for a team like the Oakland A's? And are, are teams going to start moving in the direction of what Tampa Bay is doing, starting with an opener and then having starters, what we thought were starters, come in later in games uh, as far as recent trends in baseball pitching?
1: It reminds me a little bit of a different Tampa Bay team. I think the Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers once won <laughs> uh, once won a, a, a football with Brad Johnson, that quarterback. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, this is sort of, we're entering the Brad Johnson era of baseball where people think, I just need a guy to get me through four, uh, then I'll slam the door shut with my bullpen. Um, you know, I, I think that the Astros, they wanted to win it all, so they made sure that they went and got Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. Um, so there's still value in, in building a good rotation. I think the A's didn't really have the resources. Uh, to put together a complete team. And so the A's are always going to have a flaw somewhere. And this year they just decided, you know, I don't think they even decided it. I think it was just the kind of ebb and flow of their, of their minor leagues. Because if you look at it, next year they're going to have uh, Jesus Lizardo, uh, who came over in the Doolittle trade. Mm-hmm. They're going to have um, A.J. Puck coming back from injury. Hopefully James Kaprelian is not broken. Uh, those are three top-end arms that, you know, they could have been available this year if everything had bounced right. Uh, but instead, because of injuries, it'll they're talking about 2019 and 2020 for those guys. So maybe they'll have a rotation then, and who knows uh, where they'll skip then. But, um, you know, I, I do think that there is a trend towards the bullpen. And I think really what it comes down to is that we've had 30 teams for a long time, but the population in America and the population around the world and the types of markets that we're going into to get players have only gotten better. And if that's the case, what's going to happen is that eventually – Every portion of baseball is gonna get better. And I think what teams realized was was that like you can have six, seven, eight really good bullpen arms these days. Um it's maybe hard to still, you know, build a six, seven, eight uh starting pitching uh kind of depth uh because of injuries, but especially the way that we're throwing hard and the way that we're developing pitching and the way that we're scouting pitching, you can definitely find eight Really good relievers in a given year, um, and I think that's what's led to this: is the idea that like, oh, I don't have to spend that much. Uh, I can go find them in my own. Mm-hmm. I can go find them in my own stat in my own um, minor league system. I can go find them in Japan. I can go find them in Korea, and I can put together a great, a great bullpen for not that much, and and use that to dominate games.
0: I'm still assuming when October comes and the postseason starts that it's going to be a game of bullpens like it was last year. Are you expecting the same? I am. For this postseason?
1: I am. I am. There's a couple teams um, that will be using starters out of the bullpen. You know, like the Dodgers, as they get healthy, a lot of their starting pitchers are moving to the bullpen. And so it'll be a bullpen game, but it'll be Ross Stripling in the fourth inning. Um, and uh, I do wonder about the Red Sox. Their bullpen is not as good as everybody else's, but their lineup is. Maybe the best, and they're starting pitching. If if Sale is healthy, is is among the best. So they're they're the one team that's kind of saying, okay, we're going to do it a different way. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I mean the the there was a I think a baseball uh, history of baseball high in terms of percentage of posting um, innings pitched by the relief core, and it was something like 48% last year. So I wouldn't be surprised if more innings are pitched by the bullpen this postseason. Uh, than by the starting rotations.
0: And then my last question is on the position players pitching more often than ever before. Is that a good thing for baseball?
1: It's just a, just a consequence. If you, if you start pitching your bullpen more and using them more in the, in the regular season, you're going to run out of arms on certain days. And, and, you know, the best, the best teams out there actually now have a person in the front office or on the coaching staff whose job it is just to do call-ups and manage the bullpen in terms of calling up guys and putting guys on phantom DL stints, uh, and just managing arms and managing the roster to, to keep the bullpen fresh. Uh, but if you have, even if you have that coach doing the best he can, you're going to run out of days, um, where your, your bullpen's fresh. I mean, I saw the Rays went into extra innings, took a lead, uh, and had to have their catcher pitch with a lead, with a, like a, a four run lead in the 11th inning. Uh, They had their catcher pitch, Jesus Sucre, and uh, he gave up two runs, and then they had to go to to, uh, Jose Alvarado, who I guess they had been trying to sit that day. Um, So, you know, I think it's going to lead to some overused arms, some injuries, and and more position players pitching. It certainly feels like that uh, moment from the Simpsons when uh, the devil starts feeding Homer uh, donuts on the machine <laughs> where like we all used to <laughs> yep. love position players <laughs> pitching and now we're kind of like okay all right that's enough uh especially when jose reyes is out there slinging sidearm at 75 miles an hour it's not that compelling
0: well we are curious if matt davidson be- can become a pitcher after oh he saying. had
1: he had legit stuff i think charlie colbson had 95 too so those two guys uh, you know could yeah maybe we'll develop some two-way players that can that can rest the bullpen like that, and uh, and pinch hit, and uh, you know more Brooks Kieschnick types, but uh, yeah, you know I think that that could be a use of a roster spot for sure.
0: You could read Eno's excellent work on the Athletic and follow him on Twitter as he has been dropping baseball knowledge all season long, especially for those that play fantasy baseball. And you are coming up into the postseason. Eno has been trying to help you guys out with last late season information, especially in the pitching front. he's at Eno Saras. and Eno, as always, man. Thanks for coming on the show,
1: yeah, thank you. if if you um, if you or your your listeners want to be a little bit more depressed, uh, this weekend, I'll be publishing uh, a piece about Juan Makata, how he's improved in a key way and yet uh, sort of displayed a key flaw that he has yet to overcome
0: all right. So I'm going to be looking forward to. The positive?
1: <laughs> Let's give it over the negative. Yeah. No, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs>
1: just, just hug that Eloy teddy bear tight or not.
0: I will. <laughs> I will. Oh, thanks, you know so much for coming on. Thanks, Rob. A quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, plan a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence and it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek has plenty of tickets to concerts, comedy and theater too. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone and it's by far the easiest way I found to shop for tickets. And I use SeatGeek all the time to buy tickets to White Sox games. And you bet that for this upcoming weekend, when the Boston Red Sox are coming into town for Labor Day weekend, and if the White Sox make some announcements on certain players being possibly called up, I will have a finger on the SeatGeek app because SeatGeek makes it so easy for me using their deal score to get a great Deal on tickets for White Sox games, especially if they called up Eloy Jimenez, just like I did for the Michael Kopek start. Went to SeatGeek, found two great deals on SeatGeek, and quickly got those tickets before costs really rise. And best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SoxMachine. That's promo code SoxMachine for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Now to help me recap the most recent starts by Michael Kopech, Lucas Giolito, and Renaldo Lopez is the managing editor of SocksMachine.com. And the co-host of the podcast It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox are 14 and 10 in the month of August. My dream in June may come true in August.
2: Yes, one huge obstacle remaining with the last <laughs> week in play. But uh, when it comes to the way they've played and the way they've taken care of business against lesser teams like Detroit, you know, finally the season standings there, uh, the season series is kind of reverting back to what it should have been all
0: along. Possible. And we're going to recap this series, continuing the conversation on starting pitching with this episode, going in reverse, starting from Sunday with Michael Kopeck making his second start. I thought, you know, it's been interesting that a lot of people, including Eno Saris, that been comparing Michael Kopeck to Noah Syndergaard. They kind of look the same. They're the same type of build. They're both from Texas. They throw really hard. And it was interesting. To hear Eno say that while the fastball velocity is impressive, what will carry Kopech is his secondary pitches. We got a chance to see that in his second start and with Kopech facing a lineup a second and third time through. His final line was six innings pitched, seven hits allowed, only one earned run. He didn't walk anybody, so he's yet to walk a batter in his young Major League career with four strikeouts on 86 pitches. 55 of them were fastballs. 25 sliders and six changeups as he mixed in more of his secondary offerings facing the lineup a second and third time through. How do you feel about Kopech's second start, Jim?
2: It was pretty good, you know, especially for a rookie. You know, making his first start, you don't want to get too picky. <laughs> uh, it seemed like his stuff might have been just like a little bit underpowered. Um, you know, the fastball was. 97, didn't see a whole lot 98s. So he was working kind of 93 to 95 a lot uh, and lower in the zone. And I think, you know, we saw Victor Martinez had some nice line drives against him lower in the zone. Uh, and as the game went on, I think the Tigers got used to him a little bit. So there was that. Uh, and, and the slider, the breaking ball, you know, it seemed like he did mix in a couple – more curvy type braking balls, you know, like high 70s, 70, 76 to 78 versus, you know, the 81 to 85 mile per hour slider that he's thrown. But that might have been just a reflection of not having his best stuff either to where the you know, the brake was a bit softer and there was more of like a vertical tilt versus the, you know, harder snap to the slider. So, you know, that was kind of my impression was early on it looked like his stuff was lively top of the zone as it went on maybe just a little bit sluggish and and the fact that you know he was able to get through six and you know avoid the worst situation when he was you know down 3-0 with the bases loaded you know (laughs) it could have been you know tying around the plate could have been disaster but instead got a double play ball got out of the inning and and that was 93 mile per hour fastball outer half that was rolled over so you know I think ideally when Kopech is rolling you know he's not trying to get where he maybe he's not getting people rolling over his fastball in the outer half that kind of I guess suggests to me that he wasn't operating his best stuff. I think he said after the game that he didn't have his best stuff. So that was my impression. But the fact that he's competing without his best stuff and he's, he's waiting for opponents to keep him honest and the Tigers maybe didn't have the talent to keep him honest. you know, that's, that's how you win some games against bad teams.
0: Yeah. And you got to beat the bad teams, right? In order yeah. to have a good season, you have to be able to beat the Detroit Tigers of the world. And you make a lot of great points, Jim. And I think I would have wanted Kopech to try the seventh inning if he was hitting 95 to 96 miles per hour in his fastball in the sixth inning. But 93 to end the sixth, I tweeted out, I just felt like he was running out of gas. And that's something I'd be interested to watch in his next start, which is against the Boston Red Sox. And there's going to be a lot of adrenaline. There's going to be some emotion behind Kopech in that start because this is the team that drafted him and this is the team that traded him away. And I know some fans will poo-poo that idea, Mm -hmm. but talk to Eloy Jimenez and the Chicago Cubs. He wants to make the Cubs pay every single time, and it's just not the Cubs. It is their minor league affiliates as well. He shows no mercy to the Cubs system anymore since being traded. Uh, But in his next start, it'll be interesting to see on how he can control – as far as his endurance during that start because obviously he throws Nick Castellanos with that great 98-mile-per-hour fastball on the outside corner, but as you mentioned, Jim, that was the only one that he threw, and we saw a lot of more high-velocity fastballs in his two innings against the Minnesota Twins. So that's one thing I'm going to be paying attention to because obviously he's in great physique, Uh, but this has already been a pretty long season for Michael Kopech. I don't think he's hit a career-high yet, in innings, but he's fastly approaching that and uh, gets a much tougher opponent his third time through. Uh, it will be interesting to see out how deep he can go. But I-, I thought it was a great sign, though, that he didn't throw 52 pitches in the first two innings, that he had a really good pace going, at least with the pitch count.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, um, you know, he's throwing the ball well, throwing strikes, attacking. Uh, had a couple pitches get away from him. It seemed like it took him a while to get a slider going for strikes. Uh you know he tended at maybe it was the same. <laughs> he was sweating four pitches in, so maybe it was the uh you know you know wet grip or something like that, you know, letting some sliders get away, but no he he competed he got some low pitch counts, got ahead uh worked ahead and 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 forced the tigers to keep him honest, and they were a little slow in doing that,
0: all right, so the next pitcher and one that you know does not show a lot of confidence in or has a lot of confidence in moving forward. Uh, Again, we recorded that before his start, but Lucas Giolito had a really good start. Seven innings pitched, only allowed three hits, one earned run, which was a home run, one walk to six strikeouts. A very good start by Giolito, as in his last three outings. He's only allowed seven earned runs in 19 innings, and in those 19 innings, Jim, he has 19 strikeouts to four walks. So the strikeout-to-walk ratio is getting much better. That's really good. However, those three games, two of them were against Detroit, and the other was against Minnesota. So not exactly elite offenses that he's facing, Jim. Now, again, Eno's pretty down on Giolito, and it's mostly because of his lack of command. Are we seeing something different in his approach where Giolito is getting good results like his last three starts?
2: Well, this last start against Detroit, you know, the fact that he's seeing a team for a second time in short, such a short span and he's throwing better, you know, getting better results, um, you know, that's, I think, encouraging. Uh, when it comes to Giolito, too, like he was throwing 95, 96, you know, he had his good velocity, whereas Kopech didn't, and that's... That was cool. (laughs) It uh, it, kind of reminded me of the spring training Giolito that got everybody excited where the fastball had some pop to it um, and and set up the changeup really well. I mean, it was kind of working fastball changeup. The slider was also a good third pitch, but uh, the fastball command was such that it made uh, the changeup all that more effective. So uh, when he only needs those two pitches and the slider is kind of a bonus you know, I think that's really Giolito maybe in his best form. Or I should say his curveball, not a slider. He's kinda of gone away from his slider as the curveball feels come back to him. So that's that's I think that you know, um while I've been I guess leery to trust Giolito just because it doesn't seem like he succeeds, you know, twice in a row the same way. It seems like he kinda needs to figure out early on what pitch is working for him and uh, you know, maybe takes him two to three innings to you know, fully get his stuff in gear. This seemed like the the Gielito out of the gate with you know, the good fastball, the sizzling fastball, the ability to spot it inside and out, and then the change of diving away. It was just that was I think the form that I think got everybody excited, and I'd like to see it two starts in a row.
0: Ronaldo Lopez pitched five and two thirds innings, only allowed four hits, two earned runs, with seven strikeouts at three walks. So out of those three starts between Kopech, Gilito and Lopez. Lopez didn't have the best of the three, but it was still effective. And Eno mentioned, Jim, that Lopez's fastball is not that great. And I always thought it was a good pitch, but I'm starting to realize that even though he throws it pretty hard at 96 to 97 miles per hour, that his secondary pitches are better. And using weighted pitch values, which help tell us how effective a pitch has been, it's not predictive Zero is average, so zero runs is average. And how Lopez's pitch is breakdown, and you can look this up on fangraphs.com. His fastball registers at negative 6.9 runs, his changeup is negative 3.7 runs, but his slider is plus three runs. His slider is an above average major league pitch, so Jim. Does Lopez need to throw his slider more often? Because right now he throws it about 17% of the time to 60% fastballs.
2: Seems like he could. Uh, yeah. I haven't really been impressed with the changeup this year. I think that's kind of the pitch that when I when I look at him and the way he's performed, it's just an impressive offer. It gives a lot of homers on it, gives a lot of damage, and it's kind of backslid on him, I think. I was listening I didn't get to see Lopez. I was listening to it. I was I was on the road, so I listened to the Tigers broadcast uh, with Lopez and they were impressed with the fastball and, and, and what they said was they said they were talking to Steve Stone and Stone said that you know Lopez's problem is he doesn't stay on top of his fastball in the slider and it flattens out and so when he's been in this cold spell that uh just you know the location hasn't been there in the release point. And I wanted to check that myself, I you know, until you mentioned it, until I thought of Stone's comments just now. I hadn't seen his release point. But it seems like, you know, that could be when we were talking before about how they keep bringing up focus and how, you know, that could be the case where, you know, it's not necessarily like he's not mentally strong or mentally on top of it, but just, you know, does not – you have like the muscle memory and maybe the – the I guess the he doesn't have the mental resources this late in the season perhaps uh, with you know, fatigue setting in to stay on top of his stuff to where his fastball has the most life and to where you know he can really take advantage of that slider and locate the way he wants to and maybe pitch backwards so uh, that's one thing I want to look up but no I thought the fastball you know, from what I saw and from what I heard uh, played better um, and and I was going to see him attack with the fastball but I think just given his nature and you know until he you know I, I guess until he pitches backwards, yeah, I think it's worth you know, the way uh you know you describe it the way you know Eno describes it that you know maybe you could attack with slum more the slider, but I guess if he's somebody who's not used to it and if he's somebody who's not locating it the way he wants to early, I imagine that's a hard transition to make. Uh where all of a sudden you're slider first or slider more often and, and setting up batters that way.
0: Comparing Lopez and Giolito, because I asked Eno that question, who do you feel more Comfortable moving forward, and he likes Lopez, but he likes Dylan Cease a lot better uh, than Gilito and Lopez. Uh, but looking at Gilito's weighted uh, runs for his pitches, his fastball is at negative 11 point runs. So we know that his fastball hasn't been very good, but his slider is plus 3.5 runs, and his changeup is is plus 2.7 runs. That's what surprised me is that Gilito has plus or at least above average two pitches where Lopez just has the one. Moving forward, Jim, I guess I'll pose this question to you as we haven't completed the entire season, but let's say only one of these two pan out. Who do you feel more comfortable moving forward that will be a starting pitcher, Lucas Gilito or Ronaldo Lopez? I think Giolito,
2: just because he does have three pitches at various times, you know, he doesn't always know which ones it's going to be, but I think, you know, the, the two secondary offerings are usually there in one form or another. Whereas Lopez, I think with this change of taking a step back, he's more of a two pitch pitcher. And given how hard he throws and, and given, you know, that his stuff kind of comes and goes, uh, especially location wise, he might have, it, it might be easier to sell him and everybody on a move to the bullpen.
0: I compared them to Carlos Rodon. Rodon's at plus 10.6 runs with his fastball. He's plus 8.3 runs with his slider. And he's plus 0.8 runs with his changeup. So mm. very good, very good average compared to very bad, <laughs> below average, and decent as far as offering. So obviously Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez have a ways to go. And this being a rebuilding year, it's a great opportunity for them to learn and to get better. But when you have somebody like Carlos Rodan that even people like Eno think that there's still an ability to be somebody as an ace of a rotation, to lead a starting rotation, they have some ways to go. But it is something that I find interesting because in Lucas Giolito's start, that changeup was really good. It was something that Kevin Smith said in the postgame that he feels comfortable now calling calling the changeup against any batter in any count for Giolito. So that's going to be something I'm going to be looking forward to as Giolito will face the Boston Red Sox at home. He's the probable starter to kick off that series Thursday night if Giolito throws his changeup more. After this series, Jim, the White Sox are now just one and a half games back at Detroit for third place in the American League Central. How do you feel about the team's chances of catching the Tigers, passing them in the standings, and in the end, is it a good idea for the White Sox to finish third rather than tank for a better draft position?
2: I'm always anti-tanking. Just I don't Just think you can sell players on that, you know, losing on purpose, and I think there are enough young guys who are worthy of auditions? Well, yeah, whether it's you know, we're talking about Kopech, who's already up, and it, you know, um, you know should Eloy Jimenez, call it, come up. You know he'd be another one who's going to be going all out, and can have you know potentially you know three or four bullpen guys who might you know, pro- provide the kind of swing and miss stuff that the bullpen has lacked. And if the bullpen all of a sudden is you know trending upwards, that's a way to win close games that they weren't winning before. So I mean, yeah, you know, they just might be better. Equipped to win in September than the Tigers are, and that's nobody's fault. You know, I, I don't think you should want like a guy like Caleb Frer if he comes up to blow games or Ryan Bird to, you know, stumble. So I think you should want you yeah, as, as a fan, as, as somebody watching, invested in like you know prospects panning out, you should want them to succeed. And that's, I think, who's going to be carrying the load. It's not like previous years where it's like veterans going for it, and you're hoping you know Todd Frazier or Brett Laurie or <laughs> just these these. Uh, guys who aren't going to be in for the long haul. Most of the players there, you know, aside from maybe Avi and Jose Abreu, depending on you know, how their statuses are resolved, um, you know, they can theoretically be around for three, four, five plus more years. So, um, I can see them passing the Tigers just because I think now we're seeing these standings kind of resolve themselves, and that's fine. You know, it, it's that's it, kind of how I figured. I thought it was going to be kind of a third place finish because. Uh, I thought the Tigers are going to be the worst in the division and I thought the Royals are going to be about even with the Sox. The Royals are going to be worse than anybody could have ever imagined. And so, you know, that kind of leaves the Sox and just, you know, if if Detroit's their only competition, I think they can beat Detroit for that spot.
0: I say go catch the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> finish second. <laughs> I mean, that that's a bit of a stretch, obviously, Yeah. But no, I it'd be great to see the White Sox finish third, especially after how horrible the season started. The worst start in franchise history to be able to recover, and like I mentioned in the intro, the White Sox are 14 and 10 in August. They're 18 and 17 since the All-Star break, so they're playing above 500 baseball in the last 35 games. And now comes the tough part because in this Mm -hmm. upcoming week, as we will preview the upcoming series, as the White Sox head to the Bronx to face the New York Yankees. And the Yankees, thanks to playing against the Baltimore Orioles, have been winning more games often as of late, as Boston has stumbled a little bit. The Yankees are 82-47, and 47, which means they have clinched their 26th consecutive winning season. Must be nice. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees are currently six and a half games back of Boston for the American League East lead. So this is a big series for the Yankees. They want to keep the momentum going. Your pitching problems for this series starting on Monday. This game will be on ESPN for those that are outside of the Chicago area. Game starts at 6.05 p.m. Central Time. It is Carlos Rodon against Masahiro Tanaka. On Tuesday at 6.05 p.m. Central Time, it is James Shields against Lance Lynn. And on Wednesday at 6.05 p.m. Central Time, it is Ronaldo Lopez against CC Sabathia. Jim, what are you looking forward to in this series?
2: Well, I'd like to see him win a game. <laughs> it's, uh, there we go. <laughs> well, basically, I mean, you know, the Yankees swept him the last time, and we've seen the White Sox go winless against Oakland, and, you know, that's just never, never a sign of a good time. So I, I think it'd be fun to see him win one. But, but, yeah, I, you know, uh, I guess more specifically, you know, seeing Rodon continue what he's doing, seeing Lopez try to build off looking better against Detroit and, and not getting shelled because I think, you know, that might, you know, if he gets – if he goes from looking adequate against a bad team, you know, then getting exposed against a good team, then I think you start, you know, thinking about September, maybe six man rotations and just trying to ease them to the finish line without, you know, I guess totally giving up, uh, or, or, or sitting them or making them skip starts because there is some value in just kind of gutting through and building up your workload and learning from failure. So there's that. But, uh, you know, watching the White Sox this year against Lance Lynn, watching the White Sox for years against CC e. Sabathia, you know, just, hoping that they can kind of turn around the way they have against somebody like Kyle Gibson, who they've uh, solved after getting stymied by him for years. You know, it'd be nice to have them, you uh, know, not get shut down by Lance Lynn like three or four times in a season. That, that's kind of just what I'm hoping for individually. But, yeah, just, you know, um, keep playing respectful. And they played the Yankees pretty respectfully last time. It's just they happened to be on a losing end of all three. And, you know, maybe now with – a little bit more talent. I know Jose Burry is out, but I think, you know, the by and large teams playing a little bit better across the board, Uh starters are going deeper. The bullpen's a little bit more rested and the Yankees bullpen is a little bit thin right now. You know, maybe there's a way to, you know, maybe end up on the uh, right side of the score late in games.
0: Yeah. It's going to be a good test for Carlos or right? He's had a terrific stretch, In 2018, be interesting to see what he could do against one of the better lineups in all of Major League Baseball against the New York Yankees. I totally agree with you about the Lance Lynn thing. My lord, it is annoying how the White Sox (laughs) cannot hit against Lance Lynn. But the one thing I'm looking forward to, Jim, in this series, I want Daniel Polka to run into one and just see a majestic fly ball go out in right field at Yankee Stadium with that short porch and see... Like, if he can go upper deck or even triple deck.
2: Yeah, that's it's possible. Maybe a facade shot.
0: that <laughs> just ricochets and bounces all the way back to first base because he hits it at about 120 miles an hour. That would be great. I mean, if he can run into one and compare it to, you know, Jean-Carl Stan can run into one because uh, those two guys, I believe, are still 1-2 in exit velo- average exit velocity on home runs as both really get into it two of the stronger players in all of Major League Baseball. Well, before we answer your guys' questions in PO Socks, let's recap the action next that was in this week's Minor League Report.
1: Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mm. Mmm! Buy one and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries
0: for nothing. Ba da ba ba ba. Prices and
2: participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other of offer or combo meal.
0: Welcome to the minor league reports as Eloy Jimenez wrapped up another successful week in Charlotte with a three hit game on Sunday. He came up a homer short of the cycle but drew a walk, and now he's hitting 364 with a four-digit OPS in AAA. That's nothing new, but Sebby Zavala's hot streak is a welcome development. He also had a three-hit game on Sunday, extending his hitting streak to five games and raising his average by 20 points this week. With Ryan Bird joining the White Sox, we are now a week away from finding out which relievers will join him in Chicago. Caleb Frayer is up to 19 strikeouts to just 12 base runners over 12 and two-thirds innings with Charlotte. And since he needs to be added to the 40-man roster anyways, he looks worthy of September call-up Ian Hamilton doesn't need to be protected from the Rule 5 draft, but he's trying to make a case built on merit. With only four walks, 25 strikeouts, and 23 and a third innings pitched, Carson Fulmer has fared better in relief aside from one ugly outing on August 14th. Down in Birmingham, the White Sox allowed Dylan to cease to end his season on a high note, shutting him down after he struck out 11 over five innings on Wednesday. He finished the season with a 2.4 ERA over 124 innings, spanning both Winston-Salem and Birmingham. The 124 innings is a 33% increase over his previous high. The Barons' offense is still whiffing a ton. It's basically like you can pencil in two strikeouts a game for all the prospects, then see what they do with their other two plate appearances. Luis Masabe and Joe Booker have fared well with the, their balls in play, while Alex Call has been ice cold, batting just 161 in August. Winston-Salem is still chugging along thanks to its versatile offense. Luis Gonzalez has cut his strikeout rate from 22% in Kannapolis earlier in the year to just 16% with the dash. And his performance is covering for somewhat pedestrian performances from Blake Rutherford and Luis Robert. Rutherford's OPS is just 624 in the month of August, and Robert is at 575. Gavin Sheets is up to five home runs on the season after a three-run blast on Sunday, which got his slugging percentage back to 400 for the season. Canapolis is still hanging on to a postseason spot leading West Virginia by two and a half games in the wild card assuming Lakewood can hold on to its four and a half game lead to win both the first and second half titles. Steel Walker's power is starting to show up. He homered in both games this weekend giving him three for the week. Luis Carbello also busted out of his slump with four multi-hit games this week. Speaking of busting out, Roby Gonzalez demanded everyone's attention with his week at Great Falls. The 18th round pick homered five times and also tossed in an eight RBI game. He needed to do that to overshadow Amando Nunez, who has five extra base hits over his last four games, is now hitting a team best 338. In the Arizona Rookie League, Anderson Comas has taken the clear lead among the 2016 international signing class, while Luis Mejes, Anthony Carnado, and Jose Guerrero have all scuffled. Comas is hitting 314 with a 347 on on-base percentage, and he's slugging 397 with just 24 strikeouts over 40 games. He's also riding a 13-game hitting streak. The power hasn't materialized yet, but just about everybody on the AZL Sox can say that. And in the Dominican Summer League, the White Sox are 18-54. and 54. That will do it for the Minor League Report. Now answer your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to at SocksMachine, posting them on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SocksMachine, or helping support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast, signing up at Patreon.com slash SocksMachine. And Jim rejoins me to answer your questions this week. And Jim, our first question comes from Jeff. And Jeff is asking, what has been the most positive development in the farm system to you this year? Dylan Cease taking the next step? Zach Collins having a sort of bounce back, reaffirming his prospect status? Or some of the outfielders like Blake Rutherford, Luis Gonzalez, and Luis Basabe?
2: I think it's Dylan Cease number one with the bullet. He's been fantastic. Uh, answering every question, the shoulder issues and, and the oblique and everything that he had battled before uh, since Tommy John's surgery, building up his workload has not been an issue, knock on wood. So, yeah, just it's you're going to Birmingham, you know, going from Winston-Salem to Birmingham and numbers improving, you know, carrying it all the way to the very end of the season. It's it's all great. And when you see him, you know, thriving while Alec Hansen takes a big step back and Dane Dunning has the injury, uh, Cease's success really covers for a lot and it's the kind of uh, performance that the White Sox needed given the injuries elsewhere. I would say Luis Basabe is second and then third would be just kind of the bullpen overall with Ian Hamilton taking a step. Ryan Burr looking like somebody, uh, you know, getting Jace Fry, uh, even though he's He's solid prospect status, you know, seeing him turn into somebody who has, uh, you know, a, an interesting array of pitches. You know, Zach Birdie is still on the periphery. You know, he's still building up arm strength in Arizona, but, you know, he's still there. So it looks like, you know, factoring all these guys and maybe somebody like Caleb Frere, too, given the way he's throwing since coming over, uh, it looks like they could have a, you know, maybe not entirely homegrown bullpen, but at least having the parts to build a power bullpen uh, sooner rather than later.
0: I agree with you, Dylan Cease. I thought Luis Masabe took a big step forward this year. Those are definitely my one-two because I I, was, I wasn't really sold on Luis Masabe. If somebody drafted him in the Rule 5 draft, I would have been okay with that. But uh, I'm such a big Luis Masabe fan, Jim. I won the auction for the Winston-Salem Dash for a game-worn <laughs> jersey for Luis Masabe. So I am on the Luis Masabe train along with the Alex Cald train along with the Dylan season. <laughs> There's a lot of trains, uh, that I'm on, <laughs> but, uh, but Jeff, that's a great question, man. Thank you so much for submitting your question. Our next question comes from striker and is asking if more than five of the white Sox pitching prospects pan out, think they consider bullpenning
2: I don't think so. I don't think the White Sox, you know, as long as Don Cooper is there and, and the front office structure is still there, I don't see them being on the forefront of a pitching experiment like that. I can see, you know, maybe them catching on if it happens to take, uh, you know, whether it's 10 teams or the majority of the league by storm. But otherwise, I think if they have five starters, I think they'll roll five starters in a traditional way and then save their, you know, better – You know, say if they have six or seven starters who could theoretically start, you know, maybe some are traded, maybe some are in, you know, power relief roles, and then maybe they somehow transition. But I think, you know, when you even look at the Astros, who are among the more progressive teams, they pretty much run out five starters. And they have someone like Brad Peacock, who can work multiple innings, but isn't really, um, you know, wasn't really a designated for bullpenning and you know kind of a tandem starter i think they just let the starters go as long as they can and then you know say when it comes to uh you know a time like in the postseason season where you can really aggressively manage guys and you don't have to worry about saving somebody for the next day or the next month uh and then you can run them out for three or four innings they'll do that but i think until you know it becomes that kind of situation where it's do or die uh and and the you know looking at the regular season and trying to imagine the next White Sox team to win ninety ninety five games against the postseason, I think it'll be a pretty straightforward approach pitching-wise.
0: You know, when I read this question, I was just dreaming of a Game 7 World Series scenario where the White Sox could like throw out, you know, like Carlos Rodon and then Kopac and then Cease and then the flamethrowers. throwers. Hamilton, (laughs) Birdie, Johnson, just guys that keep coming in that throw 98, 99, 100 mile per hour plus fastballs with these great sliders. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun. Uh, But, you know, it's a good, it's a good idea striker, or it's a good question. I do agree with you, Jim, as long as Don Cooper is the pitching coach, I don't think the White Sox are to go that far on Orthodox, but you know what, Jim, it's working for Tampa, Tampa is 70 and 61. The Tampa Bay Rays, Jim, have a better record than the Philadelphia Phillies and the Los Angeles Dodgers, two teams in the National League that are in the thicket of things in the postseason race. And the Rays are not even within striking distance for any of the postseason spots. Yeah, no, the American League is nuts. So clearly it's worked for Tampa, but I can't imagine it working for every team and with all the injuries that the Rays have had this year in the starting pitching front, if those guys come back strong and healthy. I don't imagine Tampa Bay even bullpenning themselves as much as they have this year for next year. But it is a good thought, Stryker. Thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Russell. And Russell is asking, Jim, does it make more sense to consider Jace Fry a building block or flip him before he breaks See Tommy Canely?
2: I think with with Fry, given that he's had a couple Tommy John surgeries, I don't think his trade value will be all that high. And I think if the White Sox try dealing him or like aggressively selling him, you know, maybe I can see him being thrown in as somebody who sweetens a pot or you know is, is kind of like the uh, second piece of a trade, uh, significant but not somebody who uh, you know makes a deal happen on his own. You know, maybe I can see that, but given the two surgeries and given the White Sox that they're still you know, shaping up a bullpen and can still use all the depth possible. I think teams would kind of smell that, you know, seeing you know, why, why is the team in the White Sox position trying to trade somebody like him, especially, you know, with the way Canely, uh, you know, and the White Sox didn't have to move Canely. It was kind of surprising when they did and that they moved him in the same package as Dave Robertson. And, you know, right now, given the way Canley's pitching, they're not looking any worse for the wear, and it looks like, you know, they're better off, you know, trading them too early than late. So I think when it comes to somebody like Fry, who has those red flags, you know, multiple surgeries, I just don't see teams being that much, in, you know, I guess that interested to trade somebody, you know, automatically interesting, you know, like you know, along the lines of a Blake Rutherford. You know, perhaps the White Sox can get somebody that, like, yeah do it because they have so much left-handed depth but i just don't see teams hunting for jace fry given those obvious caution flags
0: my follow-up question is about nate jones is he alive is he dead because i feel like nate I, jones is someone in the same situation
2: yeah i think he was throwing but i i just don't think he's been able to get on a program i think he's been yeah he's been seen playing catch in the outfield and such and you know, not avoiding all use of his arm, but it just did not seem like the season's going to be in the cards. And yeah, uh, given that he's making, you know, he's signed, he's making so little money, it still seems like it's in the White Sox interest to keep running him out there, keep you know, uh, uh, exercising the options. But yeah, it, it's given his age and given that his you know, he was an older rookie when he debuted, and uh, all the trauma that his body's been through with these surgeries. I just don't have much hope for him i kind of put him in the same category i guess as zach putnam you know just that he kept the things kept decreasing every year and just thought like yeah you can't really count on that so i just don't see him being worth much and it seems like it's still in the Sox interest to keep running out there and gamble but i, I don't i think teams just will be smelling the fear if
0: they're shopped right so i understand where russell's coming from where if you look at jace fry is he the next Nate Jones? Somebody that's having a lot of success and someone you can dream on, but he could break at any moment. And when he breaks, that could be it.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's fair, you yeah, know. And, and we've seen it with the relievers, but I think you know, hopefully now that he's got traction in the big leagues and has a routine, I think that's that was what was so tough about Fry, is that you know he had surgery shortly after. You know, his career got started really didn't get to establish himself in the system, in the training program, everything like that. So I'm hoping, and I'm sure everybody's hoping, especially the guy who undergoes a knife, uh, you know, that perhaps finally getting some footing and and being, um, you know, regimented in the uh, system and, you know, having the workload, having, you know, an understanding of how his body works and the White Sox having a better understanding of it, maybe they'll be able to avoid it. But... Uh, yeah, it's, just, it's always there, but I think given that he's been healthy the last two years, aside from a brief D.L. stint that was unrelated to his arm, uh, I think they can feel a little bit more comfortable than Jones uh, can, and, and, and so I'm hoping that's the case. But yeah, it's with Fry, it's just more of a matter of if he throws that one pitch that derails his career, but yeah, it's it's more that than something chronic. So I think you know maybe next year if Fry is pitching well and, and proves it again for another year, and the White Sox just have like an undeniable amount of left-handed depth with, you know, Bummer and Frere and, you know, who else? You know, Medeiros, if he shifted the bullpen, you know, maybe they can justify that and teams will back off and or, or, or maybe won't, I guess, wonder what the White Sox are doing and why they're so, I guess, trying to get rid of them, trying to unload them. Maybe they'll just see it as like depth forcing a move. And maybe that's the case. But I think right now it would still seem like the White Sox are just trying to get out from under something before it blows up on them.
0: Do you think next year if Nate Jones is still not healthy and still not pitching for the White Sox, they're going to look back at the Nate Jones saga and say maybe Rick Hahn missed an opportunity here to trade Nate Jones away and get somebody that could help the team.
2: Maybe, but he's been, you know, I guess so banged up for so long that I can't blame I, I can't blame him for you know, I guess holding on to the first injury and then he's just the, yeah, I don't think there's been a case since he, you know, basically missed the full season to where, you know, there was really a golden opportunity. I think he needed to prove himself you know, after his full season back from the elbow surgery and the back surgery, that, you know, one more healthy half season would have been able to allow him to get moved but just never happened. So I think, you know, maybe they would have been selling low and it would have been all that compelling and you would have noticed he was traded, you know, one way or another. So I, I don't see that window being there. I don't think they are holding out false hopes for him. I think they're just trying to hope that he would establish himself longer than he did.
0: Well, the lesson here is Jace Fry, don't get hurt. That's simple, man. That's all. Yep. Yeah.
2: Just, uh, <laughs> you yeah, you make sure that uh, elbow ligament is, uh, stays in one piece.
0: Yes. That's all you have to worry about, man. Just stay healthy and we don't have to bring up this conversation ever again but it is an interesting thought russell thank you very much for submitting your question but that will do it for this week's po socks questions thank you guys so much for submitting your questions this week if you have a question or a topic that you would like jim and i to tackle in a future socks machine podcast episode again follow us on twitter we're at socks machine like our facebook page at facebook.com slash socks machine and help support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast at patreon.com slash Machine. Our Patreon supporters get additional content every single episode as they get an opportunity to ask questions to our guests and additional PO Sox questions in which we'll add those recordings to their special podcast feed. So if you're interested in getting more content from Jim and I, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up. Today and that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. I want to thank our guest Eno Saris from The Athletic for joining us uh, and talk about the White Sox pitching this week. And if you just discover the podcast, you can subscribe to us in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and AudioBoom.com/slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
2: From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required.